We have some great idea of a new practice you want to take on or a new technology you want to take on. You know, help the teams fall into a pit of success with those. Um, make it to where they're not having to do a bunch of extra work to make it happen, but perhaps your tools just, it's magic. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to the Development Best Practices Podcast, brought to you by ILM Professional Services. I'm Jason Erdahl, your podcast host, and today we'll be continuing our talk with Josh Taylor, ILM Senior Consultant, about site reliability engineering. If you haven't listened to our last episode, Site Reliability Engineering, SRE Definitions, Languages, and Skills, I would encourage you to do so before listening to this one. Josh does a nice job of laying the groundwork behind site reliability engineering, along with the skills and tools needed to make it work. Today, Josh and I will dive deeper into the best practices around site reliability engineering. He'll talk through how to create buy-in and build trust, both with other developers and over on the business side. We'll also talk through how organizations and developers can start a site reliability engineering practice. Be sure to hang around at the end of the podcast for a preview of the next episode and an offer for a free SRE assessment. And now on to Josh. You've talked a lot about things that I would ordinarily reserve for an architect. Planning, um, standardization, application optimization. These are all things that you've covered. Um, So how much are you involved as an SRE in the architecture? And when do you get involved as an SRE um, uh, in, in the application development lifecycle? Are you in very early? Are you consulting with the architecture throughout the, uh, architect throughout the project? So where do you fit in with the architect? Uh, you work pretty closely with architects. I mean, they have the big picture of how systems communicate with each other, um, sort of those types of best practices within the company, but you tend as an SRE to have more of your technical knowledge and more experience in what can go wrong. So AWS, for instance, there tends to be a lot of competing options on, on AWS for say messaging. It's like, well, do I use SQS or do I use this other option? Um, So as an SRE, you've dealt with, um, provisioning all those different types of resources and supporting them over in the long haul. So you can kind of point them towards what works best for your organization. Um, So you asked about with architects, did you also ask about developers or? No, I didn't, but let's talk about that. Um, So, you know, obviously you were a developer. Um, do you find do you find your integration with the application development lifecycle um, to be as early as you would like as an SRE and as early as you could be helpful as an SRE? Well, I would say one thing that might help paint the picture on this is that I wouldn't consider it to be I was a, a software developer. Okay, so as an great. SRE, okay. I continue to be a software developer. Cool. And um, I'm pretty involved 
throughout the whole process. I mean, we're using agile and DevOps and everything. So we have code, you know, there's that constant churn of, of code going out. And pretty much when we do tech reviews, you know, when we have brand new features, I'm usually there with them in the same meetings. Um, so I can sort of address head on if I notice something being suggested that might not, you know, work out well. Um, but as a as a SRE, you typically find yourself, you know, especially if you don't have too many SRE tasks, air quotes SRE tasks, um, completing stories alongside your fellow developers. Awesome, awesome. Well, that's gotta that's gotta help you create buy in. Uh, within the team because you're right there beside them. Mm -hmm. Um, Is that always the case or are there other ways that you create buy-in within the team around, let's face it, some developers would think of these as gotta eat your broccoli moments, you know, (laughs) application optimization, standardization. These are things that some developers will bristle at. Um, These are important items for site reliability. Uh, How do you create buy-in within the team? Well, a great part of that is um, you're not just coming at them two days before launch and like, here's all these monitoring things you need to put in place. And here's all, here's this tool you've never heard of that you need to implement for tracing and all this. Um, You tend to be earlier on in in the development and then you continue to work with them the whole time. Got it. Um, So just having that relationship throughout the whole software development life cycle tends to build trust and um, people, you know, know where you're coming from. Um, That's how you buy, get the buy-in from the developers Um, for your more business types. um, Communicating return on investment is very important. (laughs) Right. Um, And then for everybody, just making things as painless as possible. Um, so automation is a big thing as an SRE. So if you have some great idea of a new practice you want to take on or a new technology you want to take on, you know, help the teams fall into a pit of success with those. Um, make it to where they're not having to do a bunch of extra work to make it happen, but perhaps your tools just, it's magic, you know. <laughs> Fall into the pit of success. I am mm-hmm. going to use that one. That is awesome. I like that. Um, so it sounds like you have an opinion of where SRE should be integrated. Earlier, um, you had talked about a couple different places that SREs might be within a development organization. Um, how should SREs be integrated within a development team, in your opinion? <laughs> Well, the classic consultant answer is it depends, but <laughs> it's really up to your organization, you know, but they should be treated as another, you know, another dev on your team. If you're following DevOps, you don't have all those silos. So, right. you know, treat them as a dev, give them user stories, give them bugs. Um, you'll attend the same agile ceremonies. Um, that'd be how I would say you should integrate them with the develop. The, 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 that's how you should integrate them with the development team. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm going to go a little bit deeper. 
um, um, about application optimization. And uh, this is the Best Practices Podcast. So I'm, I'm very intrigued about your thoughts, having done this for so long um, as a software developer who is also an SRE. See, I made that change. So thank you, Josh. Um, so as, as that SRE, what are your best practices around application optimization? So I'll rattle off some cliches here. So I don't remember who said it, but premature optimization is the devil. That's a pretty famous line. Fair. Uh, I believe you should focus first on delivering a product that's maintainable and isn't going to make the developers hate themselves. Um, make sure you're closing out tech debt and document everything. Only after you've done those things or you receive some hard requirement from business should you even be looking into optimization at all? Got it. Um, that doesn't mean you get a free pass to write inefficient code, but don't let yourself get in, you know, into the land of diminishing returns or needless complexity if nobody's even going to notice it. Got it. Got it. Okay, so now I'm gonna I'm gonna bring up three different scenarios for you, um, and we're gonna start with. You're a developer. You're looking to ask something from an SRE. What information as a developer would you bring to a SRE um, in order to help you with one of the issues an SRE helps with? Sure. What I, tip the, what I typically ask is, what did you intend to happen? What actually happened? Do you have any theories on why it's not behaving the way you expect it to? How long has it been this way? And then are there any details that are unique to your application or would it immediately be obvious to someone who's never touched it? Got it. Got it. And do they have access to some of the same tools that you do? So do you find them often trying to diagnose their own problem and give me a sense for how helpful or not helpful that is? It's very helpful. Um, And if you're incorporating DevOps, encouraged. Um, Awesome. So like I said earlier, your SRE is really just the the subject matter expert on sort of your more traditional ops uh, type work and um, automation and everything. But they are still just the SME. Um, So you should be collaborating with developers. Um, if you're out, you know, on PTO or something like that, you shouldn't expect just like nothing to get done. Like your developers, you know, should be able to do the same tasks you are. Wait, wait, wait a minute. I, I wasn't aware that SREs were allowed to, t- what is this PTO? You mean you're, you're occasionally not available? This is uh this is impossible. I I've never seen this before. I heard a legend that oh. ASRE took PTO <laughs> once. Oh my god. Oh, too funny. Oh, war stories. Let's not get into that. Okay. So here's the important one. Um, and a lot of uh a lot of dev managers or other developers will be fast forwarding to this part in the podcast. As a company looking to start an SRE practice. How does that work? What are the steps to start a SRE practice? Well, I wish I had like a predefined formula for this. Uh, there really isn't one. Every organization's different. They're okay. in different places and, you know, their transition to DevOps. Um, 
which isn't a hard requirement, but like I said earlier, I think SRE is the natural evolution of DevOps. Um, so it's really just treating your operations um, as not just this silo, these all-powerful beings who get to control <laughs> everything, but you know, start taking some of your existing software developers. This could be a good way for a more traditional organization to do it is take some of your software developers from your software teams. Yeah. Start sticking them into the quote unquote ops huh. and see what they can do. See if they can make your operations um, life easier by building out tools and things that, you know, you might hear ops people say, it'd be nice if, you know, we could do this, but none of us know how to write code. You know, if you start integrating like maybe one here and there, yeah, and then, you know, start doing that knowledge transfer, you know, after they've been on the team for a few months, maybe demonstrated their value to the other folks on the operations team by making some of those things that make their lives easier. Start sending the operations people um, software tasks and start getting that software developer operations tasks. And have them collaborate, you know, you know, do a um, pair programming style activity uh, where they're learning from each other. And that's really what an SRE feels like. You know, you're, you're a developer who does operations and development. Yeah, that's cool. Well, that is certainly one path for a developer to get more into SRE if their organization um, is our, has already adopted this. Um, if you're an individual in that type of organization or maybe not in that type of organization, how would you as a developer get into site reliability engineering? So you're saying basically there's no opportunities within your company right well, now maybe, and you'd maybe, like to right, pick right. up SRE? Right. So it's not that scenario that you mentioned where mm-hmm. within an agile process, you can pick up some SRE stories um, mm-hmm. and work on them. This is something more about, um, I need to learn these skills. I need to, uh, you know, maybe advocate for it within my own organization, or maybe it is finding another organization. How would someone get into site reliability engineering? So Google has a fantastic site. It's called SRE.Google. I'm not sure how they got to top level domain as Google, but oh, you know they're they're they they have lots of money. They probably bought an island, started a country called Google, um, <laughs> and then that's how they got it. So they uh, they they do that alphabet company does have some cash. And they're also the ones that are responsible for SRE in the first place. There we go. But there the site go. is there simply SRE.Google, and they have videos on there. They have links to books. They have all kinds of you know insights from you know, where it started. Um, YouTube is a great place for any developer. Um, So, I mean, you can read the books, you can read blog posts and everything, but, you know, having someone actually talk in a more casual way or watching talks from conferences you you weren't able to attend. Right. Uh, You're going to get these perspectives from actual industry leaders um, who've, you know, maybe stood one up from the ground up brand new um, or, you know, just have a lot of experience in the area. Um, 
You can try writing and deploying and monitoring your own software that uses the tools that your company uses, you know, on your spare time, if that's something you're willing to do. Uh, just trying to do that entire software development lifecycle on your own. Um, when you would encounter problems, if you're a software developer, if you encounter problems that you would normally just go to an operations person and say, here, solve this. Instead, next time, try to solve it yourself as much as you can and if you can, uh, or at least do more diagnosis than you normally would. Um, and I'm sure they'll appreciate it too if you come to them with more information. You know, and just take this further every single time you have a problem. Try to solve more of it on your own because um, that's really what you do as an SRE. Um, that's the process you you follow. Um, like I said before, uh, you know, if you're a software engineer, start learning about operations. If you're an operations person, start learning programming. Um, and then, you know, it could be asking existing SREs if your company has them or your more traditional operations people. You know, ask them if you're if you can just watch them as they solve problems, you know, and ask questions along the way while they're doing things. Well, why are you doing this? You know, if it doesn't make sense to you. Right. Um, and if you find that this is annoying them, just find somebody else next time. Somebody will be willing uh, to spend this time with you. Um, and mentorship, you know, is a great way, you know, that's a, that's an alternative or a supplement to that. If you're not finding, if everyone's so busy that they can't take the five minutes to explain why they're using a certain tool while they're helping you with the problem, um, try to find a mentor. Yeah. Well, this is really outstanding. Thank you, Josh. I learned a ton. Um, <laughs> so thank you very much for your time. I appreciate it. So and have a great day. You as well. Thank you. Wow, that was pretty cool. I can honestly say I learned a ton about a topic I thought I knew pretty well. I hope you did too. That's our goal in the Development Best Practices podcast and at ILM, to go a bit deeper and help drive those best practices into all of your development. Our next episode is due to drop in the last week of December, and we'll be talking about Tailwind CSS and the best practices around whether and how you should use it with Chris Fitko, ILM Principal Architect. The Development Best Practices podcast is brought to you by ILM Professional Services. Did you like what Josh said about starting a site reliability engineering practice, but are hung up on the phrase he used? It depends. Yeah, it is a consultant answer, and it's also true. Let ILM help you figure out how to implement or improve your site reliability engineering practice, as we've done for dozens of organizations just like you. Please visit ILMService.com today to request our free SRE assessment. Oh, and we're just getting started with the podcast, so if you have any feedback on our episode, want to suggest a dad joke, or need anything else, please email us at podcast at ILMService.com. Again, that's podcast at ilmservice.com. Happy holidays, everybody. Take care.